Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Bible Church in the Twin Cities. I'm Pastor Levi Secord. It is the goal of Christ Bible Church to glorify God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. For that reason, I want you to know that we now offer a second podcast called The Worldview Minute. In it, I seek to demonstrate the universal importance of the Christian worldview by building the theological foundations of our faith and then applying them to all of life. The Worldview Minute aims to produce short, accessible episodes that equip the believer to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord over all of life. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Google. Just search for The Worldview Minute and you can subscribe there. Now let us turn our minds and our hearts to the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You have indeed spoken to us through Your Word and indeed continue to speak to us through Your Word. We ask that as that Word is declared this morning, Your Spirit, He would be here revealing those glories to us. That we might be a people built and fixed firmly upon the Word of God. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. One Sunday morning at my old church, uh, after preaching, a a sweet older lady came up to me and said something to the effect, it's all right, we should just stick to the New Testament anyways, that's where all the action is. Now I'm sure she was meaning to encourage me, and I can't remember exactly what happened before that, but perhaps I just bombed a, a sermon from the Old Testament or something like that. But she captures a, a sentiment that is really common in the church today. It's really common in the pews, and it's even common in the pulpits, that the Old Testament, eh, whatever. There are men who have made almost their entire careers out of preaching only or mostly from the New Testament. They'll spend ten years in one book of the New Testament, but they'll never touch the pages of the Old Testament. Whether they intend to teach this or not, this trains the people to think that the Old Testament is really not that important. At my former church, we spent a good amount of time preaching and teaching both are from both Testaments. In fact, we would alternate back and forth. And if you've noticed, we tend to do that here too. We go from an Old Testament book to a New Testament book. And we had, at one point in time, a pastor who was between churches and he was attending our church. And he came up to us after one Sunday and he said this, I think I finally understand now how to preach from the Old Testament. Well, it was a great compliment. It was also concerning Did seminary not teach you this? Many seminaries do not teach us how to handle the Old Testament. It's fair to say that many Christians are even ashamed of what we find in some of the Old Testament pages. We treat uh, the Old Testament like there is one God who's a certain way in the Old Testament, and there's a different, better God who we actually really want to talk about, who we find in the New Testament. That In the Old, we have an angry and, and judging God, but in the New, we have a loving and gracious one. And this shows our utter ignorance of the Bible. Almost, I stress the word almost, almost all of the doctrine of hell is formulated from the New Testament. The bloodiest book in the entire Bible is the book of Revelation. That's in the New Testament if you didn't know. You will find some of the greatest revelations and poetry describing God's great love and mercy and grace in the Old Testament. Those lines are not as clear as we often want them to be. And so unfortunately, we have 
wicked pastors out there like Andy Stanley, if you're not familiar with him. He's a pastor at a mega church in Atlanta. He's the son of a, another famous pastor, Charles Stanley. He should have listened to his father more, I think. But infamously, Andy has told his followers that Christians have to, quote, unhitch, unquote, themselves from the Old Testament. That if you really want to be a good Christian, you need to remove yourself from the Old Testament. And su- such a theology from a supposed pastor should draw immediate and sharp criticism. And it should be no surprise then that this very same pastor, who publicly denies the authority of Scripture, now seems to be leaving Scripture's teaching on sexuality. And so as the shepherd of this flock, one of the shepherds of this flock, I say to you, do not go to such false teachers. Do not look to them for wisdom and instruction. They may be very gifted at communication. They may have strong and famous Christian bloodlines. They may have thousands of people sitting underneath their teaching. They may get invited to every conference that they could ever want to be invited to. But you should not listen to them. For if Scripture is not the authority in their life, you have to wonder what is. If I get to pick which parts of the Bible are good and which ones are bad, you have to ask, what is that person making that determination by? Of course, Stanley is not the first one to try this. In the second century of the church, there was a heretical teacher named Marcion who taught that the Old Testament was not Scripture. That the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were two entirely different gods. And for that reason, also, Jesus was not divine. And we could go on and on with all of the false beliefs that Marcion put forward. And he was rightfully condemned as a heretic. The church says, we've never believed this. What are you talking about? There's really nothing new under the sun. My point here this morning is it is hard to read the New Testament. In fact, it is impossible to read the New Testament with any honesty and think that you can throw out the Old Testament. And I hope you'll come to that conviction at the end of this message. For example, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 speaks about how all Scripture is God-breathed. That is, spoken from God. It comes from His mouth. Now, when Paul writes that to Timothy, the vast majority of Scripture they have is the Old Testament. The New Testament was still being written and collected at that point in time. This is not an unhitching yourself from the Scriptures. And this is where 1 Peter chapter 1 enters the equation. Peter looks back to the Old Testament to encourage those who are in the New Covenant. So remember last week we talked about suffering. We talked about how we can have both grief and joy in the midst of our trials. And that joy is rooted in our comprehensive salvation. And it is that idea of our salvation that prompts Peter not to point to the New Testament, but to point backward to the Old Testament. You see, it is wrongly thought that Christ is only really found in the New Testament. That He's not really there in the Old Testament. But verses 10 and 11 here set the record straight for us. Listen to these words again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So Peter says, concerning your salvation that the prophets of old told us about this Spirit of the Christ who was going to come. 
they searched diligently to figure out what was going to happen. As some of my old seminary professors said, the New Testament is really nothing more than a commentary on the Old Testament. They're not wholly wrong on that. There is no free-floating Christ. You don't just get Christ out of thin air in Matthew 1.1. If there is no book of Genesis, there is no Jesus Christ. If there is no book of Exodus, there is no cross. There is no resurrection. If there is no Old Testament, there is no New Testament. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those graphics online that, that float around that show all of the cross-references in the Bible. They'll have the list of all of the names of all the books in the Bible, and then they'll have lines drawing from all the different books for how they cite one another. If you've ever seen it, then you know how much of the Bible is built upon the Bible. The Bible is constantly referencing itself. Let me put some numbers out there for you. There are around, depending on which count you, you take as more accurate, there are around 280 direct word-for-word quotations from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Direct word-for-word quotations. Now, if you add into that all of the references that aren't direct word-for-word citations and allusions, you get well over a thousand citations of the Old Testament in the New. That's about 37 citations per book. Remember, some of those books, like Philemon and uh, Jude, are one page. It's about 37 citations per book of the Bible. You don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And Peter reminds us of that truth. He tells us the, quote, Spirit of the Christ was there in the Old Testament. There and being sought by the prophets. So we read the prophets, and the prophets searched for Christ, and the angels even longed to see that revelation themselves. All of that is found in the Old Testament. Christ is there. The Old Testament saints were, or saints were not saved through offering sacrifices. The Bible's clear on that. The blood of bulls and goats never removed a person's sins. But they were saved that in seeing the Spirit of the Christ in these images given to them, that they looked forward to the coming of Christ in faith. They were saved, just like you and I are saved, by grace through faith in Christ. They didn't have the full revelation. You do. They looked forward in anticipation. We look backward, having seen who Christ is in the Scriptures. So where do we see this Spirit of the Christ in the Old Testament? Simple answer is everywhere. The Old Testament literally builds the categories for us so that we might know who the Christ is. So we see Christ in the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, we see a picture of what Christ's kingdom will be like at the end of the book of Revelation. You're looking at the Garden and you are seeing a picture of what Christ is bringing to this earth. We see Jesus Christ in the fall. Because in that, we see our need for a Savior. We see Christ's sacrifice foreshadowed in God killing animals to skin them to give to Adam and Eve because their sin needed to be covered. We see Christ in the first gospel message in Genesis 3.15. The child of the woman would be born and she would be, or he would be wounded by the serpent and he would crush the serpent's head. We see Christ in the story of Abraham 
in many ways, but in two ways, in His willingness to sacrifice His one and only promised Son. And then we also see Him in the ram in the thicket provided so that Isaac need not die. We see Christ in Noah in the ark. Literally, God's people flood into the ark to be saved from God's judgment. And those of us who are found in Christ are saved from God's judgment. We see Christ in Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his own people, sold to the enemy, punished for crimes he did not commit, and through his suffering, rised to rule over a nation and to save God's people. We see Christ in the rock in the wilderness that burst forth with living water to sustain the people in a dry land. You see Christ in the Passover lamb whose blood covers the doorposts and so that death might pass over God's people. We see Christ in the sacrificial system as the people had their sins placed upon a lamb and that lamb would die for the people and then Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. I wonder what he's talking about. Ah, Never mind, we have to unhitch ourselves from that. We see Christ and David stand against Goliath. If you read the story carefully, you see that Goliath is described as being dressed in serpent scales. Not armor. Our English translations get rid of the imagery here. In serpent scales. And so David smotes the head of the serpent and kills him. Sound familiar? We see Christ in the promised offspring of David who would sit upon the throne forever. We see Christ all over the prophets from the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53 who was who was crushed for our sins, pierced for our iniquities, to the shepherd king promised to us in Micah. That's a brief survey. All over the Old Testament, you have Christ. The Spirit of the Christ. To unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament is to, in no uncertain terms, unhitch ourselves from Jesus Christ. That has to be clear. This is not only foolish, but it is death to God's people. No Old Testament, no Jesus Christ. No Christ, no salvation. And so Andy Stanley should go home and be quiet and sit in shame until he figures this out. The prophets and the angels longed to look into these things, but he thinks we are beyond that. No. You sit in a privileged position. You get to see what they wanted to see. And we should be grateful. So we might wonder, though, how is such a thing possible? How does Moses know about Christ? How does David write about Christ? How does he implant the spirit of the Christ in the text? Well, Peter gives us the answer in verse 12. It was revealed to them, and even more specific, by the Holy Spirit. Well, God used human authors. And he, and he often did speak, or these guys did speak and write better than they fully understood. Because the Holy Spirit is the one author behind all the authors. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he explains this more. He says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God used agents to write down His Word. But God is the primary author. 
Why was Moses able to prophesy about the Christ? Because God was speaking through him. Why was Isaiah able to look forward and see that this Messiah would be crushed for our sins? Because God was speaking through him. And so God speaks through Moses, through Isaiah, through Matthew, through Paul, and all the authors of Scripture. The Spirit of the Christ is revealed to us through them by the Holy Spirit. God has arranged and written this book for His purposes to tell His story of creation, fall, salvation, and recreation. This is God's Word. He speaks. We listen. And they long to know the fulfillment of this snake-crushing shepherd king, this suffering servant, this offspring of Abraham and David, this Messiah. You should know that Moses, Abraham, Adam, Joseph, David, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, they all wanted to see this. And we get to. The old adage for biblical interpretation is that you have to understand what a verse would mean to its original audience. I'm going to be very careful here. There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth that we need to start there, but this is sometimes applied in an overly restrictive way that ignores the plain teaching of Scripture. These guys longed to see the Christ, but they didn't get to see the Christ. Now we've seen the Christ. That The Bible has layers of meaning, bursting with truth. I mean, there are passages in the Bible that would make uh, Andy Stanley flip his page very, very quickly. Listen again to verse 12. It was revealed to them, that is the prophets writing down Scripture, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the prophets wrote the Old Testament were not primarily serving themselves or their original audience. Let that sit with you for a moment. They wrote these things to serve you. Me. Thousands of years later. They wrote these things down for you. Okay? We should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Peter says, this Old Testament was written down for you. You. That you might know who the Christ is. The original audience helps us to understand what's going on for sure, but the authors were primarily serving us. It's not just Peter who makes this point. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As he's speaking about the events of the Exodus, he says this, Now these things happened to them as a type that they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Why did the Exodus happen? Why was it written down for us? Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That you and I might be able to look back at the Old Testament and see Christ and look at the claims of the New Testament and say, yeah, this doesn't happen by human authors. We have all these images fulfilled in one person. Jesus pretty much tells us the same things in the Gospel. Matthew chapter 5, Christ says this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's the very fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In John chapter 5, he says this, 
you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about Me. So Jesus is speaking these words. There is no New Testament yet. You search the Scriptures to find eternal life. But that life is found in Me. These things talk about Me. And so it is as plain as the noonday sun that the Old Testament is needed. It is necessary to see who Jesus really is. It was written down for you and for me who live in an era of fulfillment. And so we return to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, not some, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Old Testament, again, is primarily in view here, as Paul writes to Timothy. Of course, it applies to the New Testament as well. But it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and all Scripture was given so that we might be instructed, we might be corrected, and we might be equipped for every good work work. So I'll take a step back and ponder this question with me. I think about this all the time. You ever wonder why our churches are not equipped for every kind of good work? Why our Christians seem so ill-equipped for every kind of good work? Perhaps it might be because we are ignoring huge swaths of Scripture that were written down for you that were breathed out by God, that are profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness, that you might be thoroughly equipped. If I give you a manual on how to do something and you chop out half of it, are you going to be thoroughly equipped? No. In fact, this week, um, I was building a, assembling a basketball hoop for my son, and I'm not great at reading directions. <laughs> and I... I, I had this, I mean, they're huge, right? So I had it tipped over and I, I put the backboard on and I lifted it up and I realized I had the backboard facing the wrong way. And I had to put it back down and start over. Because I didn't read the directions right. All of this was given to you for your instruction that you might be thoroughly equipped. You cannot be thoroughly equipped if you do not know your Old Testament. You cannot have a thoroughly equipping ministry if you never touch the pages of the Old Testament unless you're looking at um, some end times prophecies. That doesn't count. You have to touch all of them. You have to cover a broad swath of the Bible. All of it is breathed out by God. When we don't do this, we act like there is a part of God's revelation to be avoided. We drift into a soft pietism that only focuses on some distorted vision of Jesus who becomes more and more non-physical and makes little demands upon you. You cannot get there if you really live and preach and teach like 2 Timothy 3, 16-7 is true. All Scripture is breathed out. All of it is profitable for you. Even those passages in the Old Testament that make you squirm a little bit, that make us moderns get a little uncomfortable in our chairs, are good and were given for you. All of Christ for all of life carries with it this necessity. All of Scripture for all of life. Because all of Scripture is God-breathed, profitable, and is to be used for equipping the saints for all good works. Individuals, pastors, or churches who neglect the Old Testament neglect their sheep. 
neglect their own good. To say it one more time, the Old Testament was written down for us. Therefore, you should study it. You should mine it for wisdom. You should look for Christ in its pages. You should go to it with expectation and a seriousness befitting the study of the Word of God. Do not neglect it and do not be embarrassed by it. For in it we find life. As Paul would go around and he would teach the gospel, he would go from town to town, he would stop in the synagogues and he would preach the gospel to the Jews first. And he would argue with these Jews by using the Old Testament. He would say, this Jesus who was crucified up in Jerusalem, let me show you how that's really the Christ. And he would take out his Old Testament because that's all they had. And he would show them. And we have examples, positive examples like the Bereans in the book of Acts who measured everything Paul said by the Scriptures. And again, that's the Old Testament. And they came to faith in Christ. I want you to hear this then, that you very much can and do find the Gospel in the Old Testament. It's there. That's Peter's point. Look at verse 12 again. It was revealed to them, that's the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. So it was revealed to them that they're really serving you and now the fullness has been announced to you so that you might see it. It was announced. The gospel was there. Yes, it was there in seed form in the Old Testament, but it was there again and again. Now we be careful here. The relationship between the Old and New Testament has sparked many a book. Gallons upon gallons of inks have been spilled on this. There are theological camps that are divided over the exact how we go from the Old Testament to the New, but this all Christians can agree upon. Something radically changed when Christ came. That there is a a letting go of certain parts of the Old Covenant as you move into the New Covenant. Nobody, no no good Christian anymore says you can't eat pork or you can't wear mixed clothing. The unbelievers like to come up to you and say, hey, why don't you follow those rules anymore? I'm like, well, why don't you read the Bible? It tells you why. It's, It's right there. Don't try to bring the Bible at somebody who actually reads it. In fact, much of the New Testament from the book of Acts to Galatians and much more deal with how we move from one covenant to the new. And so we can laugh off the silly arguments from others and move on. The Bible addresses this and the Christian church has largely been on the same page for the last 2,000 years on this. Yes, we have some disagreements over the Sabbath. Yes, we have some disagreements over what it means um, with the relationship between Israel and the church. Yes, we have some of those. But no one again is telling you you can't eat shrimp. There is a uniform answer. There is an agreement here because the Bible deals with it. God tells Peter as much in Acts chapter 10, all food is clean now. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And yet, we have all agreed, no matter how you get there, that the so-called moral laws from the Old Testament are still in effect. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We could go on and on and on. The church agrees on this thing because the Bible's rather clear on these things. And so yes, we recognize that the revelation of Scripture develops, it progresses, it centers on Christ, and certain things have changed from the Old Covenant to the New, but the whole Bible is still Scripture. You may not be under the Old Covenant anymore, but the Old Testament is still God's Word, and it still has authority over you. All of it. You have to understand that in light of what Christ has done, 
and how the covenants have changed, but you are under the authority of Exodus and Leviticus, just like they were. But you're under that authority through Christ. They weren't yet. So we must say it again. In the pages of the Old Testament, we find the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is an announcement that prepares us for him. So what do we take from all of this? Let me make some applications here this morning. Most basic, you need the Old Testament. You need it more than just for your kids' Sunday school hour stories. You need it for the rest of your life. And you need it because you need Christ. And he is found there. The Old Testament is the largest portion of God's word. And without it, you and I would have no hope in this world. And yes, it can be hard to understand. And yes, there are parts that make even me squirm a little bit. But perhaps that's more of a sign of what's wrong with me than what's wrong with the text. God has given you all of his word for your benefit. And the Old Testament was written down for you and me. That we might see Christ more clearly. And that we may be equipped for every kind of good work. So if you want to grow up in your faith, if you want to grow to maturity, you need your Old Testament. You can't just be a New Testament uh, Christian that ignores what comes before. You can't just be a red-letter Christian. Newsflash, they didn't write in red letters back then. And so a corollary application to this is this. If you ever encounter a teacher who has either a low regard for the Old Testament or who says something like you need to be unhitched from it, you should chuckle to yourself and just keep walking. You don't need what that person is selling. Because all of the universe hinges upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of Scripture revolves around that burning center. Christ crucified, Christ risen, and Christ coming back. And in the pages of Scripture, both old and new, we get to see the glories of Christ. We get to taste the grace of God. We see God's power to save, and we see our need as desperate sinners. So we search the Scriptures to find eternal life. And we find eternal life in Old Testament and New because they show us Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you indeed that you have spoken to us in your word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. That in every page of Scripture, you are showing us, preparing us, and revealing to us Christ. Whether it be our need as sinners, or your great power to save. So Lord, we ask that as a church, as we study your word, that we would see your Son in it, that we would not be ashamed, that we would not shrink back, but that we would build our lives upon the rock, the rock of your word, and that by that we would be equipped for every good work. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.